I'm Mark Peterson, and this is the FEMA Podcast. A year ago, Hurricanes Irma and Maria devastated Puerto Rico. And since that time, FEMA, numerous federal partners, and the government of Puerto Rico have undertaken one of the largest post-disaster reconstruction and humanitarian efforts in U.S. history. Major portions of the island's infrastructure are being rebuilt as federal agencies support the government of Puerto Rico's plan to restore the island's lifeline systems and enable Puerto Rico to withstand the storms to come. Never before has FEMA coordinated federal resources to rebuild an entire commonwealth with a population of 3.3 million people, 78 municipalities, electrical, water, and telecommunication systems, seaports, airports, schools, healthcare systems, roads, and bridges. Overall, in 2017, hurricanes Irma, Maria, and other disasters affected nearly 47 million people throughout the United States. While recovery continues, FEMA and its interagency partners remain focused and dedicated to continued stabilization and resilience of impacted communities. Mike Byrne, one of FEMA's most qualified federal coordinating officers, deployed soon after Maria's landfall in Puerto Rico to help lead the coordination of the federal government's support. On this episode, we spoke with Mike Byrne about his experience over the last year and how he sees the status of recovery in Puerto Rico one year after Hurricane Maria made landfall. So Mike, Set the stage for me about when you arrived in Puerto Rico. What were the conditions like? Well, when I arrived, you know, things were pretty chaotic in that there was uh, so much incoming. So the uh, everywhere in the island was damaged. Uh, communications were spotty at best, even two weeks in. Uh, we had, uh, you know, dramatic relief efforts underway, but there was just so much incoming. We, we were uh, somewhat overwhelmed by what was happening. Uh, good people, uh, they were doing the best they could, and, but we needed to sort of evaluate what we were facing. Uh, and this is where I'd, I'd have to say, uh, you know, uh, uh, I, I encourage all emergency managers to be students of emergency management. And there's a uh, great work that the Kennedy School did called Managing Crisis. And it's a series of case studies, but in the summary chapter at the end, there's a particularly poignant uh, set of information. And that is the difference between a routine event and a crisis event. Uh, routine events, you know, we have scripts for them. We've done them many times. Uh, we generally, you know, with some variation, you know, we were able to manage things. Uh, the best example I can think of is a heart attack. Uh, the heart attack victim uh, falls on the ground. EMT shows up. Uh, you want the EMT to follow the rules. You don't want them to get creative on, on you when it comes to something that's that well documented, that a successful outcome is achieved by doing these things. Then we move to crisis. Crisis is things we don't have scripts for. Crisis is things where we have to create new approaches. We have to be creative. And probably the most significant thing that we have to do in a crisis is we have to accept a, we have a high tolerance for error because we're not always going to get it right because we just have to take chances. And that was the situation we found ourselves in Puerto Rico. There was just so much going on, so much need, uh, so much uh, widespread devastation that we had to take some challenges and uh, some risk. So we already have a pres- we already had a presence on Puerto Rico right. um, before the storm 
took place. And then we also had IMAT staff there, our incident management assistance team. Our FEMA's first responders were already on the ground. And so you came in a little bit after uh, the storm had uh, hit, and we already had a sense for some of the impacts. And certainly we saw it on the news, uh, the, the, the effects of those impacts. What were some of the first challenges that you felt that you needed to address? Well, I think we have to first and foremost remember that this was the second storm. Uh, Irma hit Puerto Rico, um, while not that bad, uh, but their response mechanisms, the response organization Prima, our team on the island, uh, you know, did did a fine job managing, you know, uh, the impacts of uh, what was a much smaller event. But the other important thing to remember is that the U.S. Virgin Islands got hit really bad by Irma, and all of the stockpile of uh, water and supplies and meals that we had, we sent to the Virgin Islands because that was where the greatest need was. We even sent generators. And so not only was Puerto Rico, you know, just vulnerable because they had just gone through a smaller event, but they were also more vulnerable because our supplies and everything had been already used up for, uh, by sending them to the VI. So there was a there was a gap there that had to be overcome. And that's where we got into the, you know, the tyranny of distance and the challenge of, you know, a thousand plus mile supply chain. So, Mike, you approached the disaster in Puerto Rico a little bit different uh, than the way we normally approach disaster response and recovery. So tell me about that approach and, and why is it why was it important to you to relook at the way that we uh, conduct business? I think it was it, uh, it's reality of how far away you were and what the requirements were uh, caused us to, and the lack of like a sound footing, a place, a safe place. Uh, And the comparisons I'll draw, if you were north of I-10 for Katrina, for the most part, you were okay. If you were north of Westchester County in Sandy, you were okay. Uh, And you were able to get resources from multiple directions into you. Here we had one way in. We had one port that was really operational. Uh, we had airlift capability, but even that, you know, is limited. And what we had to do is realize that we couldn't address everything that was coming at us. We had to kind of step back and say, hey, if we're going to get control of this, we have to start to stabilize portions of the island. And what we did was we came up with what we ended up calling Operation Stabilization. And it was we stopped worrying about everything. And we started worrying about five things, five critical things, you know, food, water, healthcare, uh, blue tarps, and communications. Those were the things that we were going to uh, focus on and make the all of the ability and capabilities we had, all the resources we had were targeted for those five things. And to make it even more direct, we said we're only going to do that, those five things, in six places. And we took the six major metropolitan areas, uh, concentrations of people on the island, and we said we're going to stabilize those areas first for these five critical things so that we could then grow out from those areas and take care of the rest of the island. I wonder if you could give me some perspective uh, comparing a disaster maybe of the similar magnitude on CONUS versus Puerto Rico. Wow. You have to think uh, five to seven days ahead. Of, you know, like it's, uh, in fact, the example that uh, one of our colleagues, uh, Jeff Byard, used, it's, it's uh, working in Puerto Rico, you know, because of the mountainous train and everything. I've heard a lot. Of, in fact, I had a lot of con- uh, members of Congress that when we flew around, they said, wow, this looks a lot like West Virginia. And so we said, yeah, but imagine West Virginia hit with a storm like this, flooded like this, and then when all the resources that were coming to West Virginia got to the border of West Virginia, they had to stop and wait five days before you could put them to use. 
that's the reality is if we had an idea or something that we needed, we had to think about it five to seven days ahead of time or else uh, or else we weren't planning correctly. We weren't being honest with ourselves and honest with the people of Puerto Rico as to what we were going to be able to provide. So if you were to give me a sense of one year later, September 20th, uh, a year from landfall, where are we now in the recovery in Puerto Rico? You know, we're, we're in a frag, uh, fragile but stable place. And, and I think it's a good place, given the amount of damage I saw, given the amount of, uh, of effort that we, that's been expended from, uh, from all parts, from Puerto Rican government, uh, Puerto Rican citizens. Let me, let me just say something about them. Unbelievably resilient. Unbelievably, you know, uh, you know put a, ha- a happy side on everything in terms of, uh, you, know, you know, being willing to put up with the kinds of... Uh, risks that they had, the tra- tragedies that they saw, and they still uh, worked out. And how did I know that? Because we've hired, I have now have about 1,700 Puerto Ricans on my staff, and it's about 70% of my workforce. And they, even when they didn't have power, they came to work every day. They got there early, they stayed late, and they gave it everything they got. I, I just uh, was totally blown away and impressed by their, their resilience and their commitment to their island and to their neighbors. I guess as far as the way forward, uh, the uh, great thing is uh, Congress mandated us that we had to write a plan. The governor had to write a plan, and we were and FEMA was supposed to help them. And we did. We brought in some of the best minds, the best think tanks uh, in the U.S. and elsewhere to look at this problem set and come up with a plan. We now have that plan. As of August 8th, that plan became public. To me, that is the beacon. That's the directional guidance that we've got for the solutions that we want to uh, attack. And, and that's probably something different here we're doing too. Uh, what's happened over, the, over time is uh, FEMA's work has become commoditized. You know, now the commodity that business that we're in is PWs. We write project worksheets. We do HMGP grants or hazard mitigation grant program grants. And, and what we've kind of gotten away from is what the right solution is. You know, I, I worked for Microsoft for a number of years. I never came in to somebody and said, hey, I want to uh, sell you two SQL servers, a BizTalk, and a Windows interface. I never said that. What I said was, hey, what's your communication, your um, IT problem? Let's talk about how I can help you solve that. Now, at the end of the day, did I sell them a couple of SQL servers and a BizTalk? Yeah, we, that's what they, they bought. But it was all about the solution. And that's the direction that we have going in Puerto Rico. Because we've divided our operation into sectors, critical infrastructure sectors, community service sectors, we are working to find what's the right thing to do before we try to figure out what the right solution is, what the, what the right uh, resource that needs to be applied is. So we're looking at as FEMA's uh, role in this is more our contribution to the solution and not have it be the whole solution, as we, as we I think, are, are prone to do when we just think about our PWs, our hazard mitigation grants. No, let's look at the whole list, let's look at the problem holistically and say, all right, for power, we've got to rebuild the grid and we have to do it in a designed way that, where there's less vulnerability. Okay, FEMA, what can you bring to the table? Well, we can bring these grants. We can bring this hazard mitigation. We bring these uh, uh, 406 mitigation things to it. And to come out with the a better, well-rounded, coordinated recovery. Mike, you led the National IMAT team. You've responded to really significant uh, emergencies in the nation's history, not just with FEMA, but uh, also in your time before FEMA, 9-11 and Hurricane Sandy, for a couple of examples. What has surprised you about this disaster over the last year? 
just the uh, relentlessness of it. It just didn't give up. It just, uh, there were challenges uh, everywhere we turned uh, and in ways where you, you know, like, it, like it, there's an expression, I didn't, couldn't catch a break, right? You know, we couldn't catch a break there. And, and, and by we, I, I, whenever I say that, I don't, uh, we've developed an incredible strong partnership with the Commonwealth and with the leadership there. You know, we were in this together. There's no doubt about it. There's also an incredibly strong partnership with DOD. This is a, you know, I've, I've worked every disaster I've worked. I've, you know, worked with uh, the Department of Defense and with Defense uh, Support for Civil Authorities. But this one was uh, the one where it got exercised the most. Uh, we really uh, benefited. I uh, couldn't ask for a better uh, colleague and partner and, and now friend because of what we've been through, uh, General Buchanan. Uh, we, we, we worked on things. We, we looked at the conditions that we found and we said, what condition do we want to achieve? And then we poured our resources in together collaboratively to, to solve those problems. Yeah. Uh, DOD is a great example of another federal agency that's coming to uh, help us. And I think there is a sense that it's just FEMA. But yeah. truly, in this disaster, maybe more than others, it really isn't just FEMA. It's all the federal partners. Can you talk a little bit about some of the other federal partners and, and voluntary agencies? Absolutely. Uh, I mean, believe it or not, you know, because now that I've mapped, we've mapped out in the plan where all the possible funding sources are coming from, there's 22 federal agencies that, that have some level of funding. I mean, you know, do they have billions of dollars? No, but in many cases, they have, they have hundreds of millions of dollars that they're going to be able to bring to this. So it's, again, it's what your contribution is. What are you going to bring to the table? And it's not just the federal government, as you, as you suggested. It's the voluntary agencies. Uh, another thing we've established for the first time ever is I have a group that is focused on interaction with philanthropy and to, you know, what the donor community wants to bring to the island because it's, it's pretty significant what, how, how they want to play a role and how they want to come to the table. In fact, the best example I can think of is the water system in Puerto Rico is 97% PRASA, their water company now. Prosser is an eligible applicant. It's our applicant, and you know we're going to you know do our routine business with them. Uh, when it comes to the non-Prosser wells, which end up being the wells that are in the mountains in those remote communities, they're much more fragile. Uh, are mostly nonprofits. Okay, uh, we need somebody to cover the cost share. We need somebody to help pull these nonprofits together. A donor has stepped up and has offered to pay the cost share for those non-process wells. That's the kind of integration. when, Because when you only look at it with your eyes, with the filter of FEMA, you, you don't see that full picture of possibility of what everyone else who wants to be there, who wants to contribute, uh, can bring to the table. Mike, this disaster, like, all, like other disasters around the country, um, when FEMA comes in to help with the recovery, we become part of the community. We really work with mayors, local officials. We hold town halls. We're out there helping people uh, with every, every mechanism that FEMA can bring to them. Uh, what has, maybe you can talk a little bit about the spirit of the island, the people, and what you've experienced. Well, I, I, God bless them, but they're trying to teach me salsa. You know, uh, and it's uh, it's not pretty, uh, but uh, we're working on it. Uh, I, the spirit of the island, I, you know, I guess one of my benefits, personal benefits, is I grew up in an area of New York City called uh, East Harlem, you know, Spanish Harlem, also known as Spanish Harlem. So the Puerto Rican culture was not unfamiliar to me. Uh, the music uh, is infectious, you know, so, uh, and then the food uh, is just amazing. Uh, and so it, it really... Uh, the welcoming, you know, I, I, I've said to my wife many times that any time you go out into a, a place where Puerto Ricans are, the, the, the tone of the place is laughter. 
you know, uh, people uh, know how to have a good time. Uh, they they look on the bright side. Uh, they they take their suffering. I don't mean to paint the picture that the Pollyannish in any way. They understand the challenges that they faced and 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 some of the you know dramatic loss that they suffered. You know, a lot of lives were lost and uh, a lot of injuries. But uh, but just a resilient community uh, community that. I'm proud. I feel proud to be able to be there and help. And I think the rest of our team does too. And one other thing is, uh, like I mentioned earlier, uh, we're committed to get, I'm committed to getting to 90% local Puerto Ricans running the, their disaster for, you know, FEMA, response for FEMA uh, by the one year anniversary. I don't know if I'll make it at this point, but we're going to, we're going to make a hard drive for the next uh, month or so to, uh, to get there. Because they bring a level of expertise and sensitivity that you can't teach. You know, you can you can appreciate it and you could try to emulate it, but they uh, they've they've been uh, tremendous. And the talent we're getting, uh, the engineers, uh, University of Mayaguez, the Port- University of Puerto Rico at Mayaguez is a fantastic engineering school. Uh, I've got a lot of uh, lawyers on staff uh, that are taking. Jobs that aren't lawyer jobs, but their ability to write, to communicate, to understand a complex problem is just really benefiting us. So it's uh, I'm excited about the our ability now to end up with a body of labor and of people that are committed, learning and feeling good about our profession of emergency management. And I'm hoping they they stick with it because who knows where the next one's going to hit. And I'm sure their ability to speak Spanish. Their experience with a catastrophic event like uh, uh, Maria is going to just make them a great asset for, for, the, for the community of emergency management, not just FEMA. We've linked to this episode on our FEMA Facebook page, and we invite you to join the conversation in the comments. If you have ideas for a FEMA podcast topic, send us an email at fema-podcasts at fema.dhs.gov. If you would like to learn more about this episode or other topics, visit fema.gov slash podcasts.